good morning. <clears throat> there are a number of people missing. And uh, so I'm going to warn you that this is not a uh, normal sermon. Um, I'm going to try to, uh, we're going, I'm going to get five people up here to help me. And uh, we are going to read our way through the uh, affairs, the disputation, one in particular, um, that took place in Zurich that resulted in the separation between uh, what became Anabaptists and Zwingli in Zurich. And I'm going to try to um, explain uh, the political and religious uh, situation and why, uh, why the debate went the way it did and why the separation happened. And there are, um, I'll, I'll use the word issues, there are issues present uh, in the situation there that actually uh, are similar to issues that we face in church life today and, and relationships between people. So I'm not... Uh, I think maybe the best thing for me to do here is to get my helpers up here, and uh, that way we won't be disrupted as we go along. So I have asked uh, some people to help me already, if I can remember who. Um, Art. Um, I had asked Laverne and Winston. That's three. Did I ask someone else? Anyone else did I ask? Oh, yeah, Rich. Okay. And if, Paul, could you help? Okay. So just hang on there. Let me place you. I have places I want you to be. If you would come up, Rich and Paul. So I I think... uh, Rich, if you would sit here and fall asleep on the other one, I have reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich is going to be Connor mm-hmm. Greppel. And Paul is going to be Langley. And um, I think, Art, if you would sit here and be Von Watt. I don't know his real name. Lady. Well, if you could be a hub mine. I think you're Simon Stump. So do you... Do you have who I said you are? Yeah, 
Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit and I'm going to be the moderator. Um, so the, uh, the movement that became known as Anabaptist um, was not a new movement. That is, there had been a number of movements prior to 1500 that were similar to the, what the concerns of these people who became Anabaptists. The concerns prior to that were similar to these. Uh, probably the concerns, well, they, they became quite focused and more prominent in about 1300, but they, there were concerns like this before that. Um, and they, these movements thought of themselves as uh, brothers or apostolic brothers or communities of faith, and and they tended to be uh, they they were they tended to uh, people gathered outside the uh, established church, Roman Catholic Church. And uh, for the sake of fellowship and Bible study, and they the movements uh, focused on uh, being a community of love, on Holy Spirit leading, on study of Scripture, especially on the teachings, commands, and example of Christ. And uh, they were very um, focused on Christ and wanting to obey him, follow him, do whatever he wants of them, and and a focus on Scripture. And so, as you come as you come to the uh, to 1500, there has developed a lot of interest in. Um, by these kinds of people, a lot of interest in history and theology and the scripture, and and there was a lot of focus on on languages, humanist, the humanists. Uh, so there were a lot of people who who studied Greek and Hebrew and Latin. And, and who were, a good many were knowledgeable, um, I'll just say way beyond what we are in general, uh, had way more knowledge of the languages of scripture and, and very intent on their study. And these, these people, uh, would gather together and had been doing this for a couple centuries. They would they would gather together in I'm not sure what the term was for their little groups, but they would gather together and study the scriptures so there'd be someone there who knew Hebrew, somebody Greek, some of them knew all these lang all these languages, Latin and and they they 
were intent on their study of the word. And so this, this is the type of group that Zwingli was meeting with, with, with these men. <laughs> um, had been from maybe 1515, uh, for seven or eight years. He had been meeting with them and they had been in a, in a very focused, in-depth study of the scripture and, and this whole group, of men was becoming fairly radical in their beliefs of what the Bible teaches and uh, so I'll stop there I'll stop with that and uh, talk a little bit about Zwingli's life and then talk about the political political situation, and then we'll uh, make our way to this meeting. So Zwingli's life, uh, he's considered the father of the Reformed, even prior to John Calvin. Uh, Calvin, many people think, is the father of the Reformed, but actually Zwingli is technically. Uh, Zwingli was a very gifted person, a very gifted speaker, a good Bible scholar, he loved music, I noted this. He loved music and he very gifted musically and he could play six instruments. He had a, a Master of Arts and uh, he was chaplain in the Swiss Army. Uh, he knew Erasmus, spent time with him. Uh, Erasmus was a Catholic but he was uh, a language scholar, and uh, in many ways he didn't agree with Catholic theology, but he never broke with Catholicism. Um, as a result of his relationship with Erasmus, part of the reason was that he became, Zwingli became opposed to war, uh, but not because he was opposed to killing. He actually died on the battlefield. Uh, in 1531. So he was a pastor, and um, the sad thing about Zwingli is that he did not uh, exercise good discretion and uh, integrity uh, in his relationships with women, and he had some affairs. And he was dismissed as pastor, and he ended up in Zurich as a pastor after that. <laughs> Not sure how that worked, but and so so he was uh the pastor there in Zurich and and had these men meeting with him and they were studying the scripture. And uh so they sat around a table and uh each man would share his insights from his language and study and whatever whatever he was seeing in the scripture. And then uh, Zwingli, uh, when he preached, he would preach out of this context of their discussion. And so obviously they, this group of men, they were close friends. They were good friends. 
and they were very supportive of each other and they were very committed to each other and to their study and to the uh, I would say what they considered to be reforms that had to be made. Like they were arriving at the conclusion that there had to be changes. And even Zwingli agreed that there had to be changes. So then you have a, the political situation there that Switzerland was divided into two cantons and uh, the German speaking and the French speaking, the German speaking headquarters was Zurich and the um, French speaking was Geneva and the German speaking uh, section was divided into 13 cantons and they were united uh, for self-defense and so the uh, the city of Zurich was the headquarters of these 13 cantons and uh, Zurich politically was uh, run by a city council made up of 200 men uh, selected by a public vote. Um, and this is the city council. And, and they, they make decisions. So part of the difficulty in these men meeting was that uh, Zwingli was very committed to maintaining political stability and the council did not want their decisions to get them separated from the other cantons. So that that's part of what is going on in the things you will hear said. So the, there was a disputation before this one, and that was in January, on January 29, 1523, and um, Zurich, uh, Zwingli had resigned as a Catholic priest, and then the city council had hired him back. So he was working for the city council as the pastor in Zurich. And the Catholic Church responded to that and accused uh, Zurich City Council of hiring a heretic. And so the City Council uh, wanted to have a disputation with a representative of the Roman Catholic Church to defend itself. The City Council wanted to defend itself for hiring, rehiring Zwingli the heretic. So uh, they had a disputation. A disputation was a formal debate carried on by uh, under certain rules. I'm, I'm not sure what they all were. So in preparation for this uh, debate, Zwingli is defending himself. He prepared 67 articles, which we're not going to go into, and he sent them to the Catholic universities and to the Bishop of Constance, uh, and his effort was to defend himself from the scripture. And uh, these articles covered basically the issues that these men had been discussing, things like mass and fast, 
pilgrimages and indulgences, purgatory, worship of saints, uh, con the confession, celibacy, and uh, monasticism, and the role of the Pope. He was far-ranging. And uh, he questioned infant baptism. So they had the debate, but they didn't really have a debate because nobody came to defend the Catholic cause who was capable of keeping up with Mr. Zwingli, who was quite sharp and articulate. And so there really wasn't a debate, and the city council just reaffirmed uh, their hiring of him. So the the uh, disputation now that we're at the second one is uh october it went lasted three days and um hubmeyer vadian grebel um and these other men they were there so the first day uh, they talked about images, and and everyone agreed in the debate. Everybody agreed that images were wrong, not scriptural, and uh, the council did not denounced images. So then the second day, the disputation was on mass. So uh, we will start in Grebel spoke first and and then these men and you, you you will need to use the mic and try to uh try to be heard. You can take your time. Now these these people probably didn't have the script in front of them. They were just making this up as they went. So So you're starting here on yeah, just read your first paragraph there, Grebel. We have agreed on a number of points regarding the Mass. All the discussion will be in vain if nothing is done about the Mass. The priests are all present here today. They should be instructed regarding the Mass so that from this time on the Mass will be observed according to the Scripture. My lords, City Council, will decide what measures are to be taken from this point on regarding changes in the Mass. Master Ulrich, this power is not in your hand to turn over to my lords the judgment of the Mass, for that decision has already been made. The Spirit of God, according to the Scripture, Judges. So if my lords arrive at some decision and judgment that is against the judgment of God, I will ask Christ for his spirit and will teach and act against it. That is right. I will also preach and act against it. If they render another decision, I do not deliver that judgment in their hand. They are not to sit in judgment over God's word, and that, on, that goes not only for them, but also for the whole world. 
Also, this assembly is not called to decide what they should do, but to determine in the light of the scripture whether the Mass is a sacrifice for sins or not. So later, so, later on the members of the council will determine what measures will be taken concerning these matters. Okay, so I'm the narrator. Wingley was against the Mass as a sacrifice, but Zwingli took the position that the council had not met to decide on when and how change would take place. It had met to decide on whether the Mass is a sacrifice for sins or not. Since a change in the Mass would have jeopardized Zurich's political and economic relationship with the other Swiss cantons, Zurich City Council was unwilling to make a change in the mass. So the Burgermaster stood up and said there had been enough discussion concerning the mass and that the meeting would adjourn until noon the next day, at which time they would discuss purgatory. The Burgermaster suggested that the participants not linger outside the next day, but be in their places on time so that the disputation might come with all haste. I thought you might enjoy that little human side. So the next day... While it had been agreed before the disputation began that three subjects would be discussed, images, the mass, and purgatory, and while it was everyone's understanding that purgatory would be discussed on the last day, as a result of the insistence by Grebel and others that the discussion about the mass be continued the last day, the Burgermaster opened the discussion the next day, not on purgatory as previously announced, but about the Mass. While taking pains to remind the participants that no one should speak unless he could do so based on the teaching of the Old and New Testaments. There are still many abuses of the Mass about which one must still speak to the end that they may be stopped. Perhaps now these abuses could be pointed out and the subject opened up once again. Dear brethren in Christ our Savior, therefore it is clear that the Mass is not sacrifice as it has been discovered and sufficiently declared in light of the Holy Scripture. But there are still many abuses that the devil has drug in about which we must speak. Thus, my lords, should declare invalid all the abuses of the Mass. For this reason, I have spoken and have asked for God's will, but I do not choose to speak more and have a bad memory, so that the same abuses of which I have spoken might be revealed. Doubtless there is some abuse in the Mass, the chief part of which is that we take the Mass for a sacrifice, though I still desire to take it as a covenant of Christ or a memorial of his bitter death. 
but I wish to speak more about it as it appears to me and to many others in the same light. Indeed, to all Christ believers who desire God's will that through Scripture we wish to know yet, know more yet. At this time, I am not of another mind than that of my beloved brethren in Christ. Holrick Zwingli and Leo Judd must know that the Mass is not an offering, but a proclamation of the covenant of Christ, in which one is reminded of his bitter life and his self-sacrifice that he one time offered on the cross, which will never be offered again, and that through one unflinching selfless act, and seal, we receive the complete forgiveness of our sins. And he who would celebrate the Mass will find that instructions are not written in a secret letter. The guidelines for me, so to speak, are found in Matthew 26, 26 to 28, Luke 22, 19 and 20, Mark 14, 22 to 24, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 35, Hebrews chapter 7 and 11, Christ said, this do. He did not say, this offer. Out of this follows first that the Mass is neither an offering for the living nor the dead, for it does absolutely nothing. Then, since I cannot believe for another person, so I may not celebrate Mass for another, so still the Mass draws one from Christ rather than establishing Christ as the master of believing men. In the second place, therefore, the sign and seal of the body and blood of Christ are the word of Christ as they are spoken in the Mass. Therefore, the priest should proclaim no other in the Mass than the pure, clear, simple word of God. He who does something other than this does not celebrate the true Mass. In the third place, he who does not preach the word of God does not celebrate Mass. Matthew and Luke learn this from the testimony of Christ and Paul, i.e., this do in my memory. As often as you do this, you proclaim the death of the Lord. The disciple must do as Christ wishes. In the fourth place, as in Latin lands, Mass should be read in Latin, so in Wales, gibberish with his disciples when he instituted the Lord's Supper, but used language which was clear and understandable. So also when Mass is celebrated, the New Testament should be read in German. It is ridiculous that in Germany or in a German land where Latin is not understood, that the Latin scriptures are read, which is to reduce the Lord to silence and fail to proclaim the gospel when Mass is celebrated. Paul wills that man speak with understanding in the church and desires five words with understanding more than ten times that number without understanding. Then the people will understand and can say amen. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 19. In the fifth place, he who will celebrate the Mass should not do so by himself alone, but with others also who hunger and thirst after spiritual food and drink, so that together in fellowship they are fed as Christ has taught us in word and deed, saying, Drink you all. He who now teaches or does otherwise cuts a hole in Christ's covenant letter, which, if an angel from heaven does, it is still not for man on earth. Galatians 
1.3. Dear devout Christians, that is my conviction which I have learned from the scriptures, namely about images and the mass. Wherein my teaching is not right and Christian, I ask you all through Jesus Christ, our only Savior, I ask and beseech you to correct my judgment in a brotherly and Christian way with the scriptures. I may err, I am a man, but a heretic I cannot be. I will, and desire from the heart, receive correction and give many thanks to those who make known my error, for I will follow God's word willingly and in all obedience come under its judgment for you and all of us to be truly Christ's disciples and follow after him. I have spoken. Judge you and help me. I will ask Christ that he will give us of his grace. I have held this same opinion for a year, that there are other abuses of the Mass about which one should speak, as Conrad Grebel has pointed out. Zwingli stood up and expressed the opinion that everything that was brought in which is not of the rule or desire of Christ is a true abuse. But man himself can easily go astray if it were not for the fact that one must preach and handle the word of God against himself. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 19, 1419, that he desires to speak five words with his understanding rather than 10,000 words with an unknown tongue. Now one should do nothing in the assembly that all cannot understand. That is an abuse to which others are given. So at this point, Zwingli proceeded to delineate what he considers to be other abuses of the Mass such as a special garb of the priest, which is very closely connected in the historical development of the mass as a sacrifice. He also pointed out that the devil had brought in many other ridiculous things, as had been indicated. Zwingli then said that the only safeguard against error is a serious study of the scriptures, the people must become familiar with the word of God that they may evaluate the priestly robes, the singing of the mass, and the entire mass service. Then one should know that it is possible to conduct mass without the traditional priestly garments. Therefore, learned, esteemed, and beloved brethren in Jesus Christ, I ask you in God's will that you will take the word of God in hand and study the same and come to a clear understanding of its teaching about the Mass. You will also learn that a priest in ordinary clothes might hold the Mass. If the people will learn this, then it is possible that this thing will go away without a violent reaction. Grebel then said that there was another abuse about which he would like to speak. That is, whether the bread used in the Mass should be leavened or unleavened, since it appeared to him that Christ and the holy apostles had taken leavened bread. Zwingli answered that we do not know which kind of bread leavened or unleavened Christ took. This is really not of such great importance. 
Therefore, each parish church might decide for itself which bread to break at the Lord's Supper, leavened or unleavened. Grebel continued to press several other points regarding the prevalent practices of the Mass, asking whether recipients should stand or kneel when partaking of the Mass. Zwingli once again said that, that this was to be referred to the parish church. Should this also go to the, the parish church for decision? Yes. That all that all of these things that all of these matters should go to the parish church. For what is not found clearly in God's word is unessential is essentially sorry. For what is not found clearly in God's word is essentially unimportant as with the unleavened or leavened bread. Each parish church is free to decide for itself what the practice will be since these matters are relatively unimportant. It is also a great abomination in the sight of God that man mixes water with the blood of Christ without any foundation in the Holy Scripture. Now God Almighty has forbidden that all Christians should refuse to accept or to do the same. Conrad, you speak right. One should not put water in the supper. It is, it is also an abuse that the priest takes the bread in his hand and does not allow the participants to take the bread with their own hand. If it is not clearly taught in the scriptures, then we have no explicit scriptural guidelines for making a decision. That is the reason we have deacons and ministers who are able themselves to serve. Greville continued to press the point that he felt everyone should take for himself the bread of the Lord's Supper. Zwingli reiterated the principle that he, by this time, had stated more than once, we must not go beyond God's word. Since no one knows whether Christ took with the hand and gave the disciples or not, it is a matter of indifference. Therefore, each parish church will have to decide how they will break bread. We must act according to God's spirit, which is binding. We should observe the Lord's Supper at night, since Christ himself established it in the evening. The sacrament, when taken from 8 to 10 in the morning, is just as valid as that taken in the evening. And if one were to follow Grebel's principles and do exactly as Christ had done in breaking bread, then it would be necessary to wear the same kind of clothes Christ had worn and to wash one's another's feet. But these things, each parish church must decide for itself. However, all men should take the sacrament in both kinds as Christ gave it. The spirit of man 
and his love for God are more important than the external aspects of the Mass. I am in hopes that my Lord's will permit the sandal of the Mass to come to an end in an orderly manner, maintaining peace. Reason? It is far better and more important that a man give proof that he has attended Mass rather than that he takes Mass. Such is an abomination that God is butchered and sold. It follows that no priest should serve or say Mass by himself. It is desirable that each one through the Holy Spirit will serve himself and take spiritual nourishment. Christ gives us of himself and from him we receive it. Conrad Schmidt, who represented a more moderate position than that of Zwingli, said that the people should be taught the truth until they voluntarily abandoned the worship of images and false views regarding the Lord's Supper. Following his lengthy speech, several other men spoke at length. Afterwards, Wingley stood up and addressed the assembly with deep earnestness. He entreated the assembly not to hesitate to learn from God's word what God expected of them. Zwingli spoke with such strong conviction and feeling that he himself and others began to weep so that no one was able to speak. After the leaders had regained their composure, Leo Judd, Dr. Von Watt, and the Burgermaster spoke in succession. Then Dr. Von Watt brought the Second Zurich Disputation to a close and the council refused to make changes in the mass. So thank you, men. The disputation is over. Uh, so I will say, first of all, that there are some things uh, as they were reading that I, I was like, I'm not sure what that means. Um, so one of the one of the things uh, that one of the maybe Zwingli said that uh, that um, mass or the Lord's Supper should be offered in both kinds and uh what that means is uh if i i think i'm right about this the catholic church uh prior at some point prior to 1500 had uh developed the practice of serving uh the bread but not the wine so they were practicing the Lord's Supper in one kind. So uh, Zwingli's comment there is saying that it ought to be served in both kinds, meaning both the bread and the wine served. And um, I'm not I'm not real sure all the reasons why it was being served in one kind. I think 
part of it was that um, the concern about spilling wine, which had now been turned into the blood of Christ, and uh, that would be um, some negative word. I'm, I don't know, a disaster. That was part of it. So the I want to talk a little bit about the events following uh, this disputation, and then I want to talk about uh, issues, and then I'll be done. So in December of 1523, soon after this disputation, Zwingli decided to go ahead with a change in the mass, but the council would not support him, and so he backed up and said that he would leave the decision in the hands of the council. Uh, from December 1523 until the fall of 1524, it was uh, almost a year. Uh, during that period, and this, this was uh, sounded somewhat strange to me, but I think it is true, during this period, Greville and his followers were very active in uh, the outlying areas, um, preaching, trying to uh, trying to get converts who might, um, I think, who might serve on city council and change the decision. Um, and Zwingli was upset by that. Uh, he thought the council could be trusted to move ahead responsibly and that they shouldn't be out there campaigning. And he said he was afraid that asking individuals within society to make a decision would result in division. Uh, so just to be clear, so the view that Zwingli had was and, and most people had at that time, was that you could not have uh, more than one religious entity. That if you had more than one, that there would be a division, there'd be uproar, there'd be fighting. Uh, they could not have imagined that we could have uh, 50, 11 denominations and people wouldn't kill each other over it. Now that I said that, I feel like I need to take it back a little bit because, because it does seem like uh, religious people end up killing each other over their different views of even minor things. But that, that was the issue. Um, so in the fall of 1524, and, and we're getting within three or four months of the baptisms. Uh, Grebel and his friends sent letters to people that they thought might be supportive of them, uh, like to Luther and Karl Stott and even Thomas Munzer. Uh, we're not sure what came of those letters. We know they were sent. Uh, so in December of 1524, there was a lot of public agitation, partly because Conrad Grebel and the other men with him 
were active in the community, there was uh, public agitation, and so the um, city council uh, instructed Zwingli to meet once a week with these Grebel and his crowd, those who rejected infant baptism. The council wanted him to meet with them. He was a very articulate and influential, persuasive sort of person. And they thought that he's the pastor. He should be able to meet with them and convince them that they're wrong. And and so they were pressuring him to meet with them. And so he did. They wanted him to meet with them once a week. He did. Um, but then he quit uh, because he was afraid the situation would only get worse. He He didn't know how to handle this thing that they were so insistent and quite articulate, too, as well as he was. Um, and then in the midst of all of that, Felix Mons sent a letter to the council and begged the council, please intervene. We are in a stalemate and we don't know what to do. Uh, we just don't know how to have a conversation with Zwingli. It's not going well and we need help. We need your help. And, and the council did not participate. They didn't respond to that. So on January 17, 18 of 1525, the council ruled, made the decision that children should be baptized infants and that, that any parents who persisted in refusal would be expelled. So they had, they were given one week to comply with this and there, there were a number of these men who had uh, infants, young children that had not been baptized, and they decided we are not doing that. So a few days later, on January 21, uh, a group that was meeting in Felix Monza's mother's house baptized each other, and I won't go into that. So just a few comments here before uh, we talk about the issues. Uh, following the baptism there, um, these men, Blarock, Mons, Grebel, others, uh, they were very, very active in the community. Uh, they, they, I think they felt so compelled and driven by their beliefs. And they were out there preaching and baptizing people and, and so council, the city council was totally beside themselves over all of this activity and they started arresting people and, um, arrested not only these main men, but people they baptized. Um, so it got to where anybody who had been baptized would be expelled with wife and children. Um, so there were 19 people arrested uh, on one day, and uh, then the council decided to uh, soon after that, that they, they, they're gonna arrest Blaurock, 
He was a very articulate and strong person. Uh, he actually one day uh, went up and, and asked the pastor who was preaching if, to please stop. I'm, you're not a valid preacher. I'm going to preach. And uh, preached. It kind of um, helped him get removed. Not sure what all he did, but anyway, Blarock preached. And and then he was arrested on the way away from there as he was leaving. So they they were just very active and very forthright and very brave and like whatever happens happens so help us god this is who we are and what we're going to do and so they would be captured and put in prison and sometimes they escaped we don't know how somebody let them out and and then they would go right back and preach and then they'd be captured again put in jail escape again and this just repeated the cycle repeated um and until I think the city council was just okay. This is enough of this, and so they, uh, the city council, decided that baptism would be punished by drowning. So um, Mons was sentenced to death. Blaurock was beaten and released because he was not a resident of Zurich. Who was run out of town, being beaten as he went. Blaurock was later burned at the stake. Uh, all of these men, uh, most of them, maybe except um, Grebel, I think, died of the plague. Uh, most of them were drowned or burned. So why is Wingley willing to listen to the council, but Grebel wants immediate action? And the dynamics there are uh, one issue is different views of the role of government. Um, so Zwingli's view, as, as was Calvin and Catholic view, government is ordained of God to implement and enforce the good and the government is good in and of itself. Something like that was the view. Um, and Anabaptists, uh, they said, uh, they started out, as I mentioned, with the view that maybe they could get the support of the rebaptized re in the community and change city council. Uh, but they soon realized that was not going to work and probably wasn't right and and wasn't even scriptural and um so they they were not they did not want um they did not want to wait on depend on government officials to in, to enforce or lead out in or support um they wanted a separation let let christians be christian in the government take care of government things. Um, so Grebel and Anabaptists generally believe that government is ordained of God because of sin and should be left to sinners. Uh, 
Also the view that since the church is composed of saints and not sinners, non-saints, that's people outside of the church, should have no role in determining what happens in the life of the church. The second issue was different views of how to use the scripture. And uh, there were four views, I think. I'll state these briefly. Uh, All of these views held scripture as uh, normative, the basis for church life. Uh, The Catholic view placed a great deal of weight on tradition. And uh, my comments here are not to uh, condemn everything that everybody believed. I'm just saying how it was. Um, Catholics, the Catholic position saw a great deal of uh, authority gave councils and popes a great deal of authority. And uh, there was a lot of freedom taken in expanding on biblical statements, uh, which there could be more said about all that. Luther, uh, he said the word of God proclaims salvation, and the key is Romans and Galatians. Uh, He also said that the book of James was not uh, scripture, so he set himself up as the uh, one who could determine what is scripture. And his view was whatever is not condemned in scripture is allowed. And if you have a pen, you might want to write that down because, I mean, I think sometimes today people have these ideas and they don't even realize this is how they're thinking. So he said... Whatever is not condemned in Scripture is allowed. The the Bible is not decisive in arriving at church forms. So we can do whatever we want because the Bible uh, doesn't command things, so whatever is not commanded is allowed. What's not condemned, what's not condemned is allowed. Um. Calvin and Zwingli said the Bible gives direction to all spheres of life. Religious and church forms should be conformed to patterns seen in Scripture. But they also said whatever is not condemned in Scripture is allowed. So the Anabaptists said... um, Whatever is not taught in definite statements and examples is considered forbidden. Whatever is not taught by command or example is forbidden. I'm looking at my notes. They also said that uh, the Old Testament foreshadows the New Testament and there's a progression and the New Testament is more authoritative than the Old in its commands. Revelation is progressive. And then the the third thing that was going on there uh, at the council was 
Zwingli's fear of instability in society. And I think I would say that um, I don't think I don't think the Anabaptist people were very concerned about stability in society. I think they were very focused on what does the Bible say, and that's what we got to do, and we're not going to worry about instability in society. So a few reflections here. Um, I don't have answers to these reflection questions. Are there similar conflicts that arise in our church meetings, and how how should we respond to them? Uh, are these men really following deeply held convictions? They seem to be. Uh, what do you do when such a conflict arises and there really are strongly held views? And then there's a question, does the Bible offer answers? To what degree should one use the text of Scripture, commands, examples, or tradition, uh, people's strongly held convictions? And uh, I don't have any more notes. Uh, I would just say I've thought a lot about these kind of questions, and they are in my mind when we have conversations in church. I'm thinking about these kind of questions and uh, trying to make sense of uh, the way we're talking about issues, uh, what 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 is behind what we're saying, um, and I, I don't have answers to all of these questions, but uh, maybe I'm thinking like this: that there really aren't. There's really nothing new about these kind of conversations. Um, the the various approaches to the way we use the scripture. The, the various positions that people take for various reasons, uh, they, they, they aren't new. They've been done before. And I don't, I don't know really what the answer is to all of that. But, uh, I ponder these things for myself and I wonder about them for the church. And, uh, sometimes I express concerns about them and sometimes I don't. So, uh, together, we uh, go forward. So, blessings to each of you.